Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Daily Daf Differently. Jeremy Kalmanowski with you here, learning Tractate Sukkah, page Kafhei or 25. Today's page is devoted to the concept known as Osek Mitzvah, Patur Min HaMitzvah. If you are busy with one commandment, you are by definition uh, exempt from other commandments that will come along. Now there are any number of examples in the course of rabbinic literature where this comes up. For example, if you are digging a grave and, uh, and the time for reciting the Shema comes along, or you are comforting a mourner in the course of a funeral and the time for Shema comes along, you should continue to do those things because they themselves are mitzvot. And if you are doing one mitzvah, you need not interrupt that mitzvah to go do some other one. This is expressed on our page here in the Mishnah, Shluchei Mitzvah Peturin Min HaSukkah. If you are on a mitzvah errand, you are exempt from dwelling in the sukkah. And our Mishnah goes on, and we'll cover these topics too. Cholin u'misham shehen peturin min hasukkah. Both the ill and those who are taking care of them are also exempt from the sukkah. And then the third clause, which we will handle at the end of our page, ochlin v'shotin arai chutz la sukkah. And you can uh, eat and drink a snack. Arai means occasional. You can eat and drink a snack outside of the sukkah, but your formal meals must be inside the sukkah. Now, on a literary level, one of the things that's interesting about our page, which tells you also something about uh, the Babylonian Talmud as a whole, is that the sugiya on our page is almost entirely imported, uh, the, the bare bones of it at any rate, are imported from Tractate Brachot. On, on Tractate Brachot, page 11, you find virtually the same, the same sugiya, the same uh, essay, or the same argument down to the last detail, a couple of minor and insignificant changes, uh, and that tells you something about how the Talmud is assembled. They were assembled, at least many of the passages were assembled as a unit and uh, stuck in when the, when the pages, when the Gemara was actually edited, they were inserted as a whole, as a whole unit. The only difference between Brachot and here of any significance really is that uh, an authority is different. A teaching that is given there in the name of Rav Papa is given here in Rav Huna, in the name of Rav Huna. And the other difference is that our sugya is much longer. Uh, additional material is inserted, but the core of each sugya, of each theme, is identical down to the down to the verses that are cited and the derivations that are made. We return to the verses that we all know from Shema, that you should recite the Shema, B'shivtecha B'veitecha, as you dwell in your house, and as you walk along your way, and they derive from that that when you are walking on your way, that is to say, when you're doing your business, your commerce, pursuing your own desires, you should stop to recite the Shema. However, if you are uh, going along the mitzvah path, that is to say, you are doing something pressing that is itself a mitzvah, and the time for Shema comes along, you are osek ba mitzvah. You are previously already doing the mitzvah. And it seems illogical to the rabbis at any rate, it seems illogical that you should be 
uh, paying attention, seriously working, attempting to do something holy, and then all of a sudden you have to stop to do some other holy action. I think the basic assumption is that if you are doing a mitzvah action, do it with all your heart, do it with all your energy, do it with all your might, and do the next one when it comes along, but pay attention to the mitzvah opportunity that comes along and presents itself at first. Uh, it's funny that our sugya, and especially on the next page, will take this in a fairly far-reaching way. They'll say, for example, that if you are traveling to do a mitzvah, even when you are not doing the traveling right then and there, you've, you've stopped for the night, you still don't have to build a sukkah, you are, you are patur because you're on a, generally speaking, mitzvah errand, even at this particular moment you're not in the mitzvah errand. And that is clearly what the text is saying. The Tosafot, the medieval uh, commentators from France and Germany, they kind of begrudgingly admit, yeah, that is what the text is saying, but it makes no sense. It makes no sense to say that if you are generally involved with a mitzvah, you, you have, don't have to stop to do any other mitzvah. And the Tosafot say, I'm on the left side of our page, if you happen to be looking at it, the Tosafot begin with a big word, big printed word, Shiluche mitzvah. And about halfway down that little entry, it says, Vitema. But it, what happens to you if you could do both mitzvot? It makes no sense to say that if you're doing one, you have no other obligations. And, if, and let's say you happen to be wearing tzitzit, or you're wearing your tefillin. Does that mean you don't have to do any other mitzvot? If you happen to be going along, returning a lost item, and some poor person comes up and asks you for money, you don't have to give that person a crust of bread? That makes no sense. The Tosafot say, You're only, you are only exempt specifically at the moment that you're doing an action, and that if you were to stop doing that action, the mitzvah would would uh, fail to be fulfilled. You wouldn't be able to do it. So the Tosafot have a non-textual but very commonsensical definition of Osekba mitzvah, patur mina mitzvah. The two specific applications that our page will go on and make about uh, Osekba mitzvah, about the one who does a mitzvah is, is exempt from other mitzvot, relates to mourners and to grooms. The grooms is quite interesting uh, because it, it says, and this is not the contemporary practice, but was the practice back then that uh, grooms on their wedding night were exempt from reciting the Shema uh, if they were marrying bitulot, literally virgins, never before married women. You can imagine that we're talking basically about 16-year-olds, 16-year-old males and probably 12 or 13-year-old females. And, and the Gemara says that the anxiety of, of a first sexual encounter is so huge that nobody could appropriately recite the Shema, so the, so the one who's koneset ha the one who marries and, and has sex for the first time with a virgin is exempt from Shema, but ha-koneset almana but somebody who is marrying a previous, a widow technically, or any previously married woman, the anxiety is lessened, and so therefore that person uh, should recite the Shema. And the Gemara will go on and ask, well, if, if the key factor is one's own personal anxiety, how about somebody who's got business anxiety? How about somebody who's, in, in the case that they mentioned, who's, who's, they watch their ship say, sinking out in the bay. Maybe they should be exempt. And the, and the Gemara says, well, there's a difference between tirda de mitzvah, the anxiety that comes with doing a mitzvah, and tirda de reshut, the anxiety that comes from your own personal activities. 
and your own personal activities don't trump, but the, the anxiety of the mitzvah does trump other mitzvot. What becomes particularly interesting about that is they take another example, they, they derive analogy from another example of a mourner. A mourner is told to go ahead and do all the mitzvot. A mourner does not wear tefillin on the day of a funeral, but wears tefillin, for example, for the rest of the days of Shiva and has to do all the mitzvot on the other days of Shiva. So what gives? If, you, if it's tirda the mitzvah, if it's the anxiety of doing a mitzvah that trumps other mitzvot, the mourner is engaged in lots of formal mitzvot. The mourner doesn't bathe, the mourner wears doesn't wear shoes. In those days, in Talmudic times, the mourner wore a kind of mask. The mourner does all kinds of, you know, it's like a kafia, a kind of a, a scarf over the face. The, mitz, the mourner does, does all kinds of mitzvot. Aren't those mitzvot that, that uh, one is anxious to perform and therefore would be patur, therefore a person would be exempt from doing mitzvot of prayer? And the Talmud says the performance of those mitzvot is not really an emotional experience. You do those mitzvot because they are done. But the emotional component of mourning, the pain, the anxiety, the feelings of loss, all of that stuff, the Gemara considers that, tirda de reshut, a merely private and personal anxiety and not a mitzvah anxiety. And so therefore, one is supposed to go ahead and buck up and gather yourself together and daven. Now, I think that the modern reader this modern reader finds that a little bit strange. We always talk nowadays about how Shiva is such a, a subtle thing, that is, the rabbis were so wise and they helped people get through their mourning. Uh, maybe this example is not the most inspiring example of that. Maybe our case here, uh, the, the Gemara is suggesting that all of that emotional dimension and all of that inner dimension is really kind of your own private business, but not about normative Jewish practice. It probably wasn't the favorite thing that I've ever read in the Talmud, but I got to read a lot of good things on today's page and look forward to reading even more interesting and exciting things with you again tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.